Welcome to The Ether. Today is Wednesday, April 27th, 2022. This episode of The Ether is brought to you by Orbital Command. Have you heard of TDX? Listen, Orbital Command is putting together the TerraDAP Expo on June 9th and 10th in Austin, Texas. Not Boston. I know, that's what I thought. Austin. Austin, Texas. Come get doxxed IRL and share merriments with all of your favorite fellow lunatics and lunatics. For more information, go to TerraDapExpo.com or hit the menu item on the site right here on TerraSpaces.org. And as always, be sure to check out Orbital Command online at OrbitalCommand.io. TerraSpaces appreciates the support from all our sponsors. For more information, check out TerraSpaces.org sponsors. Today on the Ether, a deep dive of NFT bounty hunters from Department 77, hosted by Orbital Command. Let's take a listen. Hello, hello, everybody. We're just uh, getting set up here with Department 77. I'm going to do a deep dive into being bounty hunters of Web3. And I'm here jumping on with Orbital Command with uh, Edwin as well. And looking forward to getting started. So make yourself comfortable. How are you guys doing, Department 77? Yeah, all good, thanks. I hope you can hear me okay. I'm, I never trust my internet connection. No, it sounds good on my end. All right, good. Yeah, Atlas, uh, thank you for joining us as well. I think this is the first time that we're having you as a co-host from the Orbital Command side. It is my first little foray into this big, bad world. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Cool. And so, um, yeah, so as we get started, I think it'd be nice for you to introduce yourself as well. That way you can just share a little bit about your experience and... um, and then obviously we'll go into the intro for Department 77 and Straylight and, and dive deeper. Uh, I think uh, w- with your experience, I feel like you're, we're going to be able to extract some really good information from, from Straylight here who, who runs uh, Department 77. Yeah, no, good idea. I'll get the, get the room warm and um, then we'll throw the light over to you guys. So, yes, my name is Atlas, a.k.a. Mullet. I'm a proud representative of the mullet punks from Galactic Punks. Um, but I guess my my background is really in the creative arts, growing up doing clown work and commedia dell'arte in South Africa, um, doing a bunch of event production. I've done uh, put on festivals. I started a festival in Australia called New Kind Festival, um, which had actually had its own immersive game involved in it. So we did some transmedia marketing and we ran it as uh, an augmented reality game in as much as the, there was some online components, there was some geocaching uh, in the lead up to it. When you arrived at the festival, you got an RFID tag. So this, this lanyard that you'd wear and you'd scan workshops as you did it and you'd have a character that would actually level up um, based on what you're doing in real life. So I've always been interested in the, the nature of storytelling um, and then moved on into the space of game design. Um, I've worked on a few different projects and apps, kind of real world serious games as well. Um, created an app for the Sydney Children's Hospital. Um, also working on a solar punk game as a few years ago um called civil x based in, in austin which is really a, it had a, an app but like pokemon go so it was like a, a real world kind of questing app um and currently in the the crypto space working on a DeFi protocol um called sync dow um working with uh, mmx capital as well building a dow around a particular nft artist also honored to be on board with orbital command we're also launching a, a game shortly on terra 2 so yeah i mean that's like a real whirlwind trip of what i do but it's really looking at theater it's looking at web 3 it's looking at the the digital nature of 
how our technology kind of has caught up with our community, our cultural, our spiritual, our psychological evolution. I think that's kind of how it works with these tools is that we are the inventors of tools that become extensions of our capacity. So I think as you know, trauma as the Akashic field, as a few of these different terms, telepathy, all these kind of things start to come on the radar in the zeitgeist, you know, and our common understanding of where we want to go to as a species, we start to create the tools to um, have analogies of that. That's kind of what I think we're, we're ready to share the steering wheel. That's why I think decentralization and distributed databases and cloud servers and all these sort of things came into being is because we actually understand we can work together. We don't have to have mommy or daddy holding our hand. We want transparency. And ultimately, coming back to the games, we are, there's a, a really beautiful term called homo narens rather than homo sapiens. And it's kind of like the, the storytelling ape in some ways. So I think that's why games are so important. We, we want analogies. We are brought up in a world which is so much bigger than our direct senses can come into contact with. Um, and we use stories to kind of extend our imagination and get an idea of what's really going on. So, yeah, that's kind of my take on why I love games, why I do it. And I've been uh, in this space for over 15 years. And uh, really looking forward to today with Department 77 and just hearing about bounty hunters and, and the very unique situation as game designers. We're moving from you know, traditional gaming into something that is decentralized and something that's got these mini games in the lead up to games in a space where you've got NFTs, which are ownable components of game worlds. So yeah, that's probably enough from me, but thanks for letting me do an intro. Um, first time here co-hosting with Orbital Command. And yeah, love to hear, unless there's any other interest stuff from you, Edwin, love to hear about kind of the setting um, of what makes Department 77 tick. Yeah, I think that was a great intro and one of the reasons why we're definitely happy to have you on board and heading the, the gaming department from, from our side. But yeah, Department 77, straight light, if you want to introduce yourself to, to Mullet, to Alice here, uh, so uh, he can get to know more about your project. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'll give you a quick-ish uh, quick background story on myself. So I... Um, uh, started out as a musician a long, long time ago, and then uh, went into kind of uh, web design, web UI, all that stuff. And then this was like mid-2000s. Um, so I've been doing it for a while. And then uh, around 2012, 2013, I started building this um, browser-based uh, fantasy football, as in soccer football, a fantasy football game, um, browser-based which had very similar mechanics to NFTs. So this was long before NFTs even existed, but um, the idea was the same. So you have these kind of players, they're all cards, um, they all belong to someone and all that stuff. Um, and then at the same time, this was, I, I was doing this in my spare times. So I was um, quite a complicated game for its time. And then in my day job, I was uh, working with, um, I was working in, at an agency at the time, so I was working with big clients. I was working with uh, EA Sports and Sports Interactive. Um, and then after that agency, I joined uh, a small startup that did uh, fancy football stuff for Sky Sports. So my background is like in, um, my background in gaming has to do with uh, sports for the most part, but I've also done other things as well. Um, and then, yeah, and then I took a break from that, uh, started a few my, of my own startups in London, and now I'm, I'm into, um, I kind of got into Web3 via, I joined Sapper, um, the kind of home, DeFi home, um, for a few months, designed their mobile app. And then I left to do um, Department 77 full-time. So that's, that's, the, um, that's about the quickest version of my life I can probably do. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic. And what was it about uh, sport that sort of drew you into it? Why did you start with sporting games in particular? Um, it was easy to do um, uh, since players, well, how do I put it? It was an easy way into kind of this whole idea of um, having, uh, well, not, I guess not having to come up with a story to play a game 
So you have all these players and they are basically your characters now and you don't have to come up with anything. They have real lives, they have real names, they have real backstories. Um, so, and fantasy sports is kind of like that. It's like gaming without the story, I guess. Um, but this was also early days. I, I didn't appreciate story as much as I do now. Um, but that, I think that was the, the main thing, like to, to build something as quickly as possible. Uh, football players are like ready-made characters almost. Um, so, yeah. No, absolutely. That's a great idea. I think, I mean, I grew up um, in South Africa, which when soccer is a, a huge part of the culture there, it's, I think it's, it's the, the biggest sport on the planet. I mean, some people would dis- disagree because there's different passionate uh, corners, but I think there's something so um, relatable about a round ball and you kick it on the ground. <laughs> so it's, a, it's definitely a good place to start. I'd love to hear a little bit about the folklore, like as a, as a theater director and as a game designer, I love universes, and I think some of the great authors, you know, we've got um, Tolkien with Lord of the Rings, and uh, there's so many other examples of people that have detailed worlds. I um, you know, the Game of Thrones more recently, um, and there's great um, games which have, you know, World of Warcraft or uh, EVE Online, which have huge universes. Um, what's the, the core aspect of Department 77's metaverse world? Yeah, I was a huge EVE Online player as well, and lots of MMOs. Um, uh, stories, like the universe building that you talk about has always been my favorite part of games. So like uh, when I play, um, uh, what's a good example? Well, when I play any game, if it's, uh, I spend a lot of time like building up my character. I, I probably spend more time doing that stuff rather than actually playing the game. Like, I, I rarely finish games because I'm, I'm too hung up on, like, doing side missions because I want to see where the story goes and all that stuff. And I just love universe building. So um, that's been a huge part of Department 77, um, like a huge creative outlet for us to create this kind of universe where um, I guess the, the core tenet is, like, realism without having uh, too too hard of sci-fi that makes sense like hard sci-fi is fun but it's very tedious um like i don't want to i don't want to read exactly the, the like the mathematic formula of how to make hydrogen to understand like what's what's going on <laughs> i just sure. i just yeah i just need to like i just need to know that it's possible to make hydrogen of, of what you're doing so and then that's fine so um realism has been a big part of it um uh unrealistic things just take me out of movies and books and stuff like that it just instantly takes me out of it um so it has to be like realistic but with like uh, a little flair of um futurism i guess is the is the correct word like uh things that haven't been invented yet but probably will be invented um yeah yeah, no, beautiful. I think that it's a fascinating thing looking at art and life and how they imitate each other. And a lot of the ways that without, as you say, the excruciating detail on the science or the engineering, we get to have some great minds proposing things and, and floating things, whether it be, you know, deep memory or looking at the way other empires have fallen and trying to rewrap it in a futuristic skin or watching the pulse of what's happening in culture and trying to give warnings. I think it's a really, yeah, really, really powerful medium. And so with what would you say is the core aspect of the universe? Um, I see that there's the leap and there's different, uh, yeah, different aspects of the, the folklore that are happening. You might not want to give too much away before launch, but how would you summarize the world of Department 77? Oh yeah, I mean it's definitely dystopian. Uh, I've always, I've always loved dystopian futures. Um, so Blade Runner, Star Wars, things like that is is. I just find it interesting that there, if you if you kind of go deep into why, for example, Star Trek and Star Wars have always been so um, polarizing. It's, I mean, in my opinion, it's because Star Wars is dystopian and Star Trek is utopian. Um, that's the core thing that I think a lot of people don't think about in those two kind of universes. Um, so I've always been drawn more towards uh, dystopian stuff like dirty, broken down, uh, evil everywhere. And then the, um, uh, the kind of hero being the shining light in all of it. 
even though the hero might be flawed or um, have hints of evil themselves. Um, and I also love stories where um, the viewer or the, well, whatever we call it, the viewer, the player, or the user um, can openly interpret the world around them. Um, and a good example there would be uh, Star Wars, for example. Like, there's so many fan theories say, saying like that the Empire are actually the good guys and the Jedi's are actually like the, the like an, an evil cult essentially. And I just I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying like it's interesting that you can have um, an open enough, uh, I guess, uh, universe where it's open to interpretation by the players to kind of decide what's evil and what's not, or even if anything is purely evil or purely good. Um, so it's definitely dystopian. It definitely has this kind of idea of an evil big company ruling everything. Uh, but the twist that we have done is that the players are actually working for this evil company. Um, that's the that's the twist that the players have to wrestle with. Um, but there were there will be game mechanics in the game that allows players to kind of revolt against the 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 company they work for, which is I guess pretty on topic nowadays. But yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, player agency. I think, like I agree about the idea of the importance of story. Um, and then the other thing, as a game designer, I always look at the mechanic of giving the player agency, letting them know that their decision makes a difference. You know, I think Bioware was a good example of a, a studio that was having these player choices and the con- you know choice and consequence being a really key part of game design. So, how much can the players steer the game? in the game and how much um, agency outside of the game are you giving the fans in like fan theory folklore you mentioned star wars how people have different ideas about you know what this means and what that means um like some games have wikis where it can be sort of co-authored yeah how much can the player change the game um they will be able to change it a lot like we want the players to shape the the progress of the game so we're, we're we're in a quite luxurious position, I'd say, with um, it being browser based and being blockchain based and all that stuff. Web three, um, in that we can kind of quickly react to what players do, um, which is a huge benefit. But we also want to build in mechanics where people can. Well, I, I'll give you an example. So uh, every player has a bureau in the game. And uh, the Bureau has um, a classic like uh, Knights of the Old Republic style um, slider between uh, being a, an outlaw or a company shill. And uh, the whole point there is that the actions the players will take will, will put their Bureau more on one end of the scale or the other. Um, so if they do more things that the company don't uh, approve of, they will get more outlaw points. And then as the um, when they become enough of an outlaw, so to speak, uh, the black market will open up in the game and they get access to like contraband items and all that stuff. Mm. Uh, and then the other way around, if they become too much of a company shill, the, the company perks marketplace opens up and they get like uh, items that aren't as good stats-wise as the contraband stuff. But it ha- it lasts longer. It has better durability. It comes with insurance and all this stuff because it's you know company approved. Um, and depending on what happens there, like if if all the players go outlaw, then uh, the game will be you know shaped in that direction for sure. Um, I'm not a big fan of just like coding a game and then nothing ever happens. Like I want the adventure to be shaped by the players for sure. Yeah, nice. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Deus Ex Machina. I'm not sure if you played that yeah. much, but the, yeah, the big corporation and the dystopian aspect. What do you think it is about, you're talking about utopia and dystopia. I love dystopia as well. In some ways for me, it's kind of like it's a relief. Not that I want things to be bad and hard, but it's kind of a relief that the artificial constraint of being appropriate, of abiding by the rules, <laughs> there's something about the Robin Hood aspect of humanity um, mm. where we just want to be the outlaw on the outside. What do you think it is about dystopia that appeals so much to people, maybe even just in the modern world? 
I think it is what you're kind of hinting at there. It's this sense of like uh, not belonging to the system, like looking at the system that we have today or the system that is uh, inevitably going to happen and then uh, wanting to take yourself out of it, whatever the system might be. Like it doesn't have to be um, the cliche of like a political system or anything like that. It could be anything. It could be, um, uh, yeah, it could be anything. So. Uh, think it has to do with that well i can only speak for myself but when i think of dystopia i think of myself as the the person that is aware of what's happening around them um and it seems like everyone else has just accepted the dystopia around them um so i think it's that kind of outsider thing like standing outside the system wanting to either impact it or just exploit it in any way um yeah yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I mean, DeFi definitely has that, that uh, rebel aspect. I think crypto in general, you know, it was yeah. born out of this uh, cynicism or people like we don't trust the institution anymore. We want to uh, have our, we want to be sovereign, whatever it is. Um, and um, I think that this is also a great way for me personally, coming from a game design background, I was never really into finance. And then through crypto, now I'm looking at markets and reading technical analysis mm. charts every day and that sort of thing. Like, what's tell me about the the currency? Because of course we're playing a game, but we're also dealing with this. I think it's called Kilo. Um, let us know about the the tokenomics of how the in-game currency works. Yeah. The, so the token, so the the specific tokenomics haven't been released yet, but it's essentially an in-game currency. That's what it's been designed for. Um, we don't want it to be like a farming token. We don't want it to be just another token for no reason. It should be an in-game currency. Everything you do in, in the game has to be um, kind of achieved through spending Kilo. Um, as in, like on the black market, if you buy anything, you spend Kilo. Um, all the Kilo that comes in is burned. Um, so we don't kind of, we don't uh, stockpile the token it all gets burned um and yes it's it's an in-game currency that's what it's been designed for we don't want um i mean you can obviously speculate on it because it's um it has a max cap it's deflationary so if you want to speculate on it speculate on it it's i mean um you do you do you um but it the primary purpose is in-game currency yeah, awesome. And what are a few of the things um, that you can do with it? So obviously, it sounds like there's a mixture of the black market and then the above board kind of trade. Um, does it come into a lot of games have things like, you know, training your characters, uh, obviously trading equipment, leveling up, breeding mechanics, like what are the some of the uses for it in game? Yeah, all of those. So you can you can already train. So like if you have a bounty hunter now, you can already go train it in the in the on the site. Uh, it doesn't cost anything now. Um, it's just a click of a button. Uh, but eventually, yes, training will cost kilo. Uh, leveling up will cost kilo. Buying equipment. Um, we also have this kind of uh, big portion of the game is uh, um, durability. So you have to repair things. You have to repair your ship. You have to repair your items, your equipment. Um, and that all of that will cost kilo. So kilo will be like the lifeblood of the game for sure. Yeah, nice. I think it's so important to to realize that things cost something <laughs> in the world and have. Yeah, I'm, yeah. It's impressive that you've got this uh, deflationary currency as well. I see it's a 50 million hard cap, which is cool, makes so much more sense from an economist's point of view to have something that's just not an infinite in, uh, magic yeah. infinite money. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. And you mentioned that you can train the characters. Um, what are the different generations? I know that there was a deuce, I think it was, and you've got the mono. How's yeah. the, how have the generations been released? Uh, in terms of training, you mean? No, just as far as the character being released. I think you've got these different waves in which they're coming through. There was like a twin mechanic that you had earlier on. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Deus was uh, the first model. Um, and uh, in the first model, there were 333 available, of which uh, 300 were kind of basic models. But the 300 basic models um, all had production duplicates. So there were two of each. So there were 150 unique in the set, uh, two of each visual representation. And then um, players could, uh, you know, we, we, we made almost like a, 
uh, like an ARG, like an alternate reality game, where we asked our uh, users to find the owner of their twin. Uh, and then they had to like exchange firmware codes and kind of sync up their twins on the platform. But we wanted to try that just because we wanted to also not only live inside the browser, we, all, we want to extend outside the browser, like we were talking about earlier, um, so that they can shape their own adventure and stuff. And one of the ways was, you know, this whole thing of like trying to find the, the, the owner of the twin you have. Uh, and they, our users came up with like super uh, fun and interesting tactics. And um, like, for example, one person sent, they, they minted an NFT. They created an NFT, which said on the graphic, like, contact me, I have your twin, blah, blah, blah. And then they sent it to the address that owned their twin because they, they couldn't get hold of them on Discord. Nice. Um, yeah, so they came up with like super clever, innovative ways of, of trying to find the owner of their twins. Um, so that was Deus. Uh, Mono is the one that is live now. Uh, it doesn't have the twin thing. It has another mini game attached to it, which we haven't um, uh, revealed yet. But it has to do with uh, contraband versions of the current model, which is called Mono. Um, and uh, so Mono uh, had the same format, so 333, of which 300 were the basic model. Um, uh, but they were 300 unique variants uh, and the kind of the contraband minigame is, is coming soon there. So it's, it's going to be not, a, not similar to the twin syncing, but in the same, I guess, uh, what's the word? Like in the same vein. Speaking of which, you happen to be speaking to Mono MK10013. And uh, yes, and <laughs> I was really stoked. I minted and then this fantastic creature came out with, assassin wrap and what have i got i've got gold green sonar set which is only 0.28 percent to have the trade i've got smuggling so i'm pretty stoked i'm pretty it's looking pretty fine um tell me about yeah tell me about this head this amazing headset um for those of you who haven't checked it out please do go check out um one planet nft.io um there's uh yeah some really beautiful artwork which who's the artist behind this um, and my character is wearing this, not my character, me, I am wearing this amazing <laughs> golden headset with a circle on the front. And I've got this like glowing tube coming down. Tell me how special I am. Well, that's the, that's one of the fun things about the lore, in my opinion, is that you are not actually the bounty hunter yourself. You, you as the player, you play like uh, some crappy middle manager, just running a bureau, uh, in some kind of alley somewhere. Uh, and we just we we thought that was like the, a fun angle on it that the player is not the heroic one they have to send out these bounty hunters to do missions and the bounty hunters are the cool those are the cool characters like running around doing stuff and the player is just reflecting reality and that they are just sitting uh <laughs> sitting at home just waiting for their bounty hunters to do something um so we're going to have lots of fun with that as well so we we want to do make it so that players can like create their uh, own profile of the bureau manager. And it's like, you know, it's, it's not, uh, what would you say? Like, it's not the, it's not going to be a cool character in the, in the sense of like cool outfits, but it's going to be a more of a fun character, like a, like a, a parody of a middle manager. Uh, almost. Gotcha. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And talking about ARGs, alternative reality games, I think there's something that starts to hit the nerves when the game itself itself mirrors reality. And you're right. I mm. mean, if you're a, a bounty hunter, you're living in a certain way. Maybe when we have, you know, if you had similar to Pokemon Go, uh, uh, some kind of app on the phone where you're literally running around and doing things in the world like a bounty hunter, that would kind of make sense. But if I'm sitting at home on my HQ terminal sending my bounty hunters out, that actually, of course, it mirrors a lot better to be that that character in the game, for sure. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Well, tell me as well, just kind of slightly to jump, talking about the real world, back to the real world of Nerd Island. Tell me a bit about Nerd Island. Um, so Nerd Island is, um, uh, the best way to describe it is, is a dev collective. Um, it's essentially a bunch of people. Uh, we've all known each other. We've all worked together in, in different capacities. Um, and we, when we work together, 
let, let me go one step back. So I, in the last five years or so, I've been, um, uh, I've, I've been a, a few various roles, but one of them was um, CTO, another was um, CDO and all that stuff. So I had to, I had to kind of manage people. And I never felt that management was about like telling people what to do, keeping track of uh, what time they're in the office and all that stuff. That never, I never cared about that. All I cared about was, um, are the people uh, like, am I, am I looking forward to going to work? Do I, am I working with people that I enjoy sitting in the same room with? Uh, does it matter if they're in the room, if they do their, um, if they do whatever they're being tasked with or chosen to do? Um, uh, what is nine to five really like, uh, who came up with that and why are we still following it? Um, so, um, these ideas started like five, six years ago. Um, and all the people I worked with were like of a similar, uh, mindset. So we started experience, uh, experimenting, sorry, um, with different kind of work formats. Um, so we tried um, working just three days a week. We tried working uh, four hours a day. We tried um, splitting up um, so people aren't doing tasks instead they're doing like missions. Um, and missions are more like loosely based and, and it's more about like trusting the person who's been, who's taking on the mission um, to kind of interpret it as they go and all of that stuff. So the Nerd Island Amazing. started with, yeah, Nerd Island started with that kind of sentiment that we wanna we wanna change the stereotypical work week. It doesn't make sense to us, um, especially creative people who mm. like creative people has. You know, we have to uh, work when we're inspired. We can't just work nine to five and then expect to have our best output in those hours. Um, so. Um, yeah, so Nerd Island essentially is a is a collective of uh, people that have worked together, and it's there's no such thing as like full time employment. It's all mission based. So we create these missions, and the missions have um, a tasks assigned to or or sorry, a, a completion assigned to them. So like this mission is is uh, done when this happens, and there's an estimate on it, a time estimate, how, roughly how long it's going to take to create the or to complete the mission and there's a bounty attached to it in in luna most often <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, yeah so uh so we're doing like um uh i can't remember what we set it to but i think it's uh, it's essentially like uh 10 luna for a day you know and then it doesn't really matter to us who jumps in and does it because we all know each other it's not like it's not Either we know each other or or we've worked together long enough because um, it's all async and remote and we might not have kind of known each other physically, but we've known each other for working together. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a dev collective and it's also like an experiment in uh, what work is, I'd say. Amazing. And that, that sounds so gamified for those of you who are not aware. Uh, Nerd Island is the dev collective that's actually building Department 77. That's actually not part of the game. <laughs> that yeah, like yeah. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Yeah, huge respect for living it, living the game life and applying it. I think that's so important to realize is that, yeah, the psychology of game theory um, is so pivotal to what we are as a species. Do you, I'm not sure, do you know the uh, Octalysis 8 core drives model? No. What's that? Yukai, Yukai Chow. Uh, there's a guy who's developed this uh, system. It's, he basically says, and I'll just quickly run through them, interested to get your perspective on it, but he's saying that there are eight core drives in human beings. Um, and oh, so, right, you know, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, they are in his model, uh, epic meaning and calling, development and accomplishment, empowerment and creative feedback, ownership and possession social influence and relatedness, scarcity and impatience, unpredictability and curiosity, and then loss and avoidance. So yeah, which of those do you think sort of are relevant to Department 77 or any other uh, ways that you approach how to engage players and humans? I mean, that's a good question. I wish I, I, wish I remembered all of them. But um, 
I mean, it's to go on a, a little bit of a side tangent. It's kind of similar what I've always thought of, like um, what kind of work purposes. So, like, I think everyone has like a work purpose. So either either it's money, or it's social, or it's um, status, or it's um, I can't remember the fourth one, but it sounds similar to what you're saying there. Like, there's um, uh, there's a purpose to to some things, and uh, you can be all of them, or you can be one of them, and neither one is better than the other. So, like, people are always, I think, people are always scared of saying like they they work because they they want money. Like, they're always scared of saying that for some reason. Um, but that that reason is equally as valid as uh, wanting social interaction or uh, wanting status in your in your title or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting. Um, I'll read up more on those and those eight because it sounded interesting. I never heard of it. I've I, I heard of it before, but I haven't kind of looked into it properly. Yeah, yeah, that's nice, nice model worth checking out. And I guess the other famous one that people often reference is Bartle's player types: um, having the killer, the socializer, um, the explorer, and the achiever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, is there a place for each of those player types in Department Seventy Seven? Uh. Yeah, I think like the different bounty hunter models will allow you to have completely different play styles. That's the idea behind them. So um, Mono, which is live now, is more of an assassin droid. So it's more suited for like stealthy missions and all that stuff. Um, and the first one, Deus, is more of like a combat model. So it's more suited to like yeah, military operation missions, stuff like that. Um, I think it's it's easier to make games where um, players can have different kind of archetypes or whatever um, in that way when they can actually control like a character in 3D and kind of play it their own way. Whereas we are more um, like a complex click and wait type thing, like a real-time strategy almost, borderline real-time strategy. Um, so it's it's tougher to like create a game that caters to many 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 different playstyles, but will definitely cater to as many as we can. That like that's that's the whole um, you, you know games to games to lock you into one playstyle isn't really my thing. I'd rather just play it the way I want to play it. Like if I want to go through the whole, like, this is not for Department Seventy Seven, but. If I want to go through Ghost of Tsushima uh, all stealth all the way through, I should be able to do it. You know, things like that. Yeah, nice, nice. And talking about games, I know there's a few mini games kind of as part of the roadmap for release. What are what are those? Um, yeah, so the mini games are kind of our, um, what would you call it, like uh, pre-alpha um uh like uh things to do for our users while they're waiting for an alpha essentially so they're like very small very um yeah small activities that that users and the holders of the nfts can do um before the alpha and the beta launches and the alpha and the beta is like the distinction we're making between pre-alpha and alpha for example is the inclusion of missions so Pre-alpha is where we are at right now. Um, you can train your bounty hunters. You can twin sync them if you have a dais. Um, you can uh, tune them so you can go in and like change the the clock rates of their processors and stuff. Because the bounty hunters are droids. Um, in, important distinction. Uh, but uh, so you can tune them. And uh, I'm currently working on the loadout feature, which will allow you to equip. Uh, we call them MacGuffins, um, but you can equip like items to the droids, um, and that's coming soon as well. So all of these kind of mini games are essentially designed to eventually become the alpha. And once missions are introduced, that that's when we'll be in the alpha stage. Yeah, nice. And I love that progressive storytelling. I think it's a it's a great way as well to build out a world, you know, people gently get introduced. Also the amount of time we have, you know, not, not all of us can spend hours and hours on a controller, 
but you know getting like as i said you know i mentioned the nft gently get introduced into the folklore make a few decisions in the lead up training my character building up you know i think it's it's a really interesting and unique to web3 way of of launching a game mm. is there anything else like as a cto anything that's unique to making uh, a web3 slash metaverse nft game as opposed to a traditional kind of game yeah i mean the the biggest one is obviously the the lack of um logins and instead using wallets for the user authentication for the action authentication um using the blockchain as a source of truth um using nfts as um the in-game assets uh the in-game asset ownership instead of relying on a centralized database for the game is super powerful um we talked about eve online earlier just imagine if like your ships and your stuff was were nfts and you can trade them outside of the game uh, without having to rely on the game's database itself um so it's super powerful um blockchain and web3 in general is just super powerful for games because you, you have just so much more control over it and you obviously lose uh typical web2 stuff like uh you know user tracking and and uh, all of that nonsense that we don't need really as a society in my opinion but um you kind of lose that so you kind of lose a little bit of insight into what your users do um like just a practical example would be that a lot of users use brave nowadays and it's automatically excluding google tag manager by default so we we're not getting the the analytics uh the analytics aren't kind of act accurately reflecting what's actually happening on the site so it makes it a little bit harder to like uh do uh, you know predict like hosting speed all of that stuff and really know what's going on um but the benefits far outweigh uh the old way of doing things anyway so it's it's just um yeah the, the wallet interaction thing is a thing of beauty it's just so much more easier to authenticate things nowadays yeah, it's so interesting this idea of having, I guess, leading towards the idea of DID, you know, decentralized identity or digital identity, this idea mm. of having that one login. And, you know, there were in Web2, there were certain, like Facebook, for example, ended up being like a universal login for so many different websites because they all wanted to leverage yeah. the, the power of FB. But um, just to geek out a little bit, and this can definitely relate to Department 77 specifically, or just in general for games, how do you think something can grow from being sort of a siloed universe uh, with its own story and its own economy to something which becomes uh, an interoperable universe with characters playing, you know, in each other's worlds or where maybe your behavior on social media or banking or medical records or who knows, whatever the person wants to avail access to through a game can start to interact with the game world itself yeah i think that's the next step in the like what what we're referring to as metaverse now is it's like an early spark we just don't know what it is yet uh and i i think everyone has a different interpretation of what it is but i think what it eventually will become is the thing you're talking about where you can kind of um uh well uh, the the most simple version of it in my opinion would be that you can use uh an nft from another collection to play a mission in department 77 for example um uh that would be like the simplest possible metaverse integration where we just open up for any nft to be able to play in the game um but i think eventually what's going to happen is that's like the the next i i don't even know like the technical advancement isn't there yet, but I think we're going to see a, a similar boom in metaverse as we did with um, Web3. So like two years ago, um, like the idea of, of logging into a hot wallet on Brave browser and, you know, buying Luna for 10 grand uh, in a heartbeat was just like, uh, if you if you told someone two years ago, they their mind would be blown. But I think the similar thing is going to happen with the metaverse. Like we're going to see tech uh, boom in the same way as Web three did. I think it's just it just needs it needs that little kick. It needs something to kickstart it. I just don't know what that would be. 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, I, that's why I work in the space is because it's a crossroads of so many things that I'm really passionate about. It's got obviously the art there. It's got the technology. It's got an interesting culture. Um, obviously, it's got finance, which sort of keeps it pushing forward. What do you think is the leading factor now? I mean, we've had obviously a lot of developers and builders build these things out. You've had a lot of finance people, or even before that, there was Silk Road, like, you know, there was the money aspect to it. Um, with the NFT boom last year, there was all the art with the PFPs. What do you think at the moment is the thing that's leading the way in the Web3 space? Oh, I think it's it's definitely money. Like, it's definitely the, there, we still have the stigma in crypto of like, uh, becoming a millionaire overnight. Um, I mean, that, I'm sure it happens still, but it's very, very, very rare. But I think for the general public, we still have that reputation of like, you could just find some kind of weird animal coin and then you wake up the next day and you're a millionaire. So I think that's what, you know, that's what's driving the, uh, that's what's driving a lot of people. And then as a secondary unit, you have all the people who are interested in investments and like DeFi and all of that stuff. And it's just interesting and it's geeky and there's so much to uh, uncover and um, you can make money doing it. And it represents like a new way of, of um, it's a new kind of wealth, I guess. Like you don't have to go to work nine to five to earn a living. You could just go ahead into this. Um, and if you're lucky, it'll pan out. So I think there's still this, that's the main motivator still, like people want to make money. And then what you're seeing now, like a year later, let's say, I mean, it's, it's been more than that, but let's say a year later, uh, we're now seeing the, the people who were like all in investing a year ago are now discovering things like, you know, profile picture NFTs that have zero utility, but they want them just because they look cool. Um, so I think we're, we're now starting to like spread out and kind of see different, uh, different, uh, things that have less to do with making money, even though that part will always be there, but more to do with like, Oh, what else can I discover in this space? And I think we're starting to see that now. Yeah, no, it's a great time. And as they say, still early, we're all still early. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's, it's going to be changing so much over the next few years. Well, anything else? Also, I want to make sure that there's time for questions. So if you are uh, in the crowd here, if you've got any questions, please do request um, and Edwin can bring you up and we can get some some conversation in the space. But yeah, anything that you would like to bring forward as Department 77 or Nerd Island that you think people should know about the game? Um, I think uh, one important thing is like the all the NFT collections we're launching now pre pre alpha well pre launch pre full launch um, they're all intended to like uh, kickstart the kickstart and fund the project right so um, we have chosen not to take outside investment um, mainly because it, it's time consuming so it's like if I've started a few startups myself and it like 80% of the time is, uh, you know, trying to find investors, trying to convince them to invest, doing all the paperwork takes so much time. And then at the end, you're beholden to your investors. Um, but if you self fund, you're not beholden to anyone. We can, uh, we can create the game we want to do, or we can create the game the users want to see. And there's no investor to, um, uh, answer to, so to speak. So, um, these pre-launch collections, um, are, uh, kind of the, the best bounty hunters available. So it's like an opportunity for people to get in early on the game, help fund the game. Um, and that will obviously be rewarded. So we've, we've been really careful about, um, how we want to reward people so it doesn't feel like um uh, not ponzi is not the right word but it doesn't feel like um you know just the the earlier you are the more money you will get that's not the sentiment it's more like you know we want to reward our early backers um so i i think of it more as a almost like a kickstarter campaign i guess like you know if you're if you're early in you get the the early stuff and you get it at a discount and all that stuff um, 
So I think that's worth keeping in mind that um, getting these bounty hunters now is not just about uh, getting a head start in the game. It's also about like being part of kickstarting the the entire project for years to come. Nice. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that that long roadmap. Yeah, that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, also, when it's open to you, Edwin, do you have any uh, questions or any other insight you'd like to get to give? So uh, one comment is uh, in regard to the trying to find my twin, right? So I ran into the problem where uh, I'm searching for my twin still from the Deus collection, and uh, they haven't reached out <laughs> and and so what i did is similarly you know just trying to figure out a way to get in contact with them i sent them 69 cents and with the memo <laughs> message you know like hey i have your twin uh you know reach out to me let's sync up so yeah I, I think it's just a fun little addition that you included in in that deus uh, collection to to be able to connect with somebody else that is holding uh, the the similar twin so i thought that was cool um and then one experience that i feel like you you've been taking advantage of is the the community component right and being able to be inclusive and and include them like in the in the documentation of the process of creating department 77 and and the and the different mini mini games and, and just all these different things that uh that take time but you're including them for example doing the company retreats every week right and just giving updates and i feel like that's been the community has been very receptive to that and as more people start to find out about department 77 uh, i just think that that's something that keeps them in right because there's a certain expectation that you've set uh where you you are just constantly improving the game, constantly adding features, constantly just producing, right? And and I think that's something that makes the gaming NFT projects um, a lot different than other projects that might not have the same utility. Maybe some projects are just based on art, so so they depend on things like creating a DAO and being able to use the treasury to do different things um or having some merge right so so they have to come up with utility around their nft project and their art but i think with your project um your the utility is just based on on the development of the game right and how can you use your bounty hunters uh and then being able to like move them around move all these levers around so i I think it's just a, a different roadmap that you're developing yeah, it's it's one of those things like when we describe it to people, we always say like DeFi kingdoms in space, but it's that's just so that people can quickly kind of wrap their heads around the, the basics. But it's it's uh, very different from DeFi kingdoms in that it's a game first and not a, a decentralized exchange or an LP. Um, uh, and yeah, it's there's a lot of gaming projects uh, that. Um, are uh, I mean I, I don't like shitting on other projects it's not really my style but there's a lot of gaming projects that are let's say quite slow and I don't really understand why like we we um, do this like the equivalent of full time um, so uh, that's the speed you would expect I would say that there's stuff happening every week there's stuff launched every week there's uh upgrades and features whereas like uh you know if we take defi kingdoms as an example it's 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 so long between updates and features and it still doesn't feel like a game um but yeah so so we're we're way more focused on the game building aspect and the nfts themselves are game assets so uh, we're not as dependent on the market keeping the floor value high as um as like a pfp project would be um a pfp project would like be if the floor price kind of dumps on a pfp project then it, it almost feels like the project is is done for some reason um but in our case it doesn't really matter we would just want to launch um, bounty hunters and then let the market do do its thing it doesn't really matter 
in the from the perspective of the game it doesn't matter what the floor price is because you can still like if your bounty hunter's floor price is is uh 10 ust or 300 ust it doesn't matter you can still do the same things in the game so i think we're we're a little bit protected from that aspect of uh the current nft landscape if you will yeah i completely agree and and that's what's impressed me the most like the speed that you're talking about because i was part of DeFi kingdom since it first started and and i remember yeah, just too. being so excited about the game i was like okay the heroes are coming and then that took forever uh and then yeah so i wasn't even able to get one but um the heroes but still yeah it was money first and i took ust over there and i put ust on an lp and i was like okay well at least i'm using ust for something and <laughs> you know i made some money there but yeah it definitely did not feel like a game at all and then yeah with um, Promise 77. Uh, it's been cool also to have your your community, some of the members of your Discord. Uh, like for example, when when the tuning started to happen, when you released that feature, and we we're trying to maximize the grading, and I was having a hard time really fine tuning it to to an A level. Let's say I had a couple of the members just DM me, and they're like, "Hey, you know, I can help you out. Like, we're let me see what you have." And so that's cool too, right? That everybody's experimenting on their own with all these little levers that you can push for for your bounty hunters, and then they're willing to like share that information. Uh, and yeah, that's 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 always been a big passion thing of mine to do uh, co op instead of player versus player. That's always been my game dream. Uh, has always been to make a co op game. Like I I never enjoyed player versus player games. I never enjoyed like the um, I mean, I, I do enjoy like competition between friends. Like, if we're sitting in the same room, we can play FIFA against each other, and it, that's fun. But it's not fun like playing against a stranger on the internet. You don't know each other. You don't know the the banter level. You don't know anything like that. And I always just preferred co-op. So that's that's how Department Seventy Seven is going to be structured. That it it is going to incentivize people to help each other out. Um, so like, the, you know, being able to join bureaus in the future and kind of fight the evil corporation together. So it's more like all the bureaus are against the, the evil uh, corporation instead of each other. Um, that's going to be a, a huge core tenet of the game. Yeah, nice. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, the, the role up. My mind immediately goes to, yeah, can you then start to play as as the evil corporation and how many other factions within the universe could uh, could sort of start to be built out. And uh, maybe one last thing to, I know we're coming close to the hour now, um, but I'd love to know about the expansions. I see there's like a bureau building aspect, there's vehicles coming. Like what's your future vision once the MVP is released? Yeah, so the, the future vision, well, the immediate future vision is um, that I want it to be uh, a mixture between sort of like XCOM in that you're doing base building and you're sending people on missions and stuff. Um, it's it's like a mixture between that and uh, like older games like Syndicate and, and things like that, where it's, uh, I want you to always have something to do, but you don't, you, you should never have to do it. Um, that's also like a core tenet of ours. It shouldn't be only for the advanced players that have the most time to put in. It should also be if you're a casual player, you should just be able to log in, uh, tweak some things, uh, clean up your base, and then head out. And you haven't, um, it's not like you're being left behind by the other players. Obviously, you won't have as much advantage as the, the hardcore players um, who are kind of building up their, their bureaus and all that stuff. But um, yeah, base building is my my little baby that's my uh, personal favorite one where you can kind of expand your base add more rooms to it uh, and the different rooms give you different advantages and some rooms are just like cosmetics so like there's a, there's an nft gallery where you just have you see all your nfts and all that stuff um and then other rooms are more practical like a droid repair shop or a vehicle a garage mechanic uh, um, things like that um so base building plus the missions is my, that's my immediate uh, plan. Yeah, nice. There's something so satisfying about games. I think that's the thing. Our minds move so quickly and life moves so slowly. And so yeah. just this idea of building a base, getting my art gallery set up, having my droid workshop, having my secret stash, you know, there's something that 
as as a human being, I think as kids we have this idea of building an empire, and then life kind of has other plans. So <laughs> I look forward to building a base too. Sounds really yeah. good. So maybe my final question is: What's the secret password for God mode? Oh, there is. Well, there is no password. Uh, there is a cheat code. No one. Oh. No. No one has uh, discovered it yet. It's not the. <laughs> it's not the classic one. Uh, but there is a cheat code. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if, if, and when someone finds it. Nice. I'm glad. So it's not up, up, down, down, back, back, forward. Nah. <laughs> That's for hacks, isn't it? <laughs> nice. Amazing. Well, yeah. Just checking with you, Edwin. Uh, do we have any questions from uh, the crowd? I don't think we have anybody requesting to come up and, and ask questions. So what we can do is just uh, start to just end it here with uh, the Prime in 77, just letting us know uh, more about your mono collection. And oh, actually, we do have a question here from Sergio. Let me bring him up real quick. Hi, Sergio. You have a question? Um, yeah, I was wondering. I saw on the trades um, box that pile, uh, piling is available. So um, when, well, not when, but <laughs> I guess um, you're introducing um, ships and vehicles. And I was wondering um, if the um, boost or the uh, level is going to be based 20 like uh the other traits yeah so piloting is the the next trait that comes along with the expansion packs of expansion pack of vehicles uh so the the piloting skill will start at 20 just like the other traits um and it's out of 100 so you you'll have plenty of scope there to go up and down um, and piloting will essentially, like at its core, it will decide um, basically how quickly the, the bounty hunter travels from location to location. So if they have a ship, it's going to be much quicker for them to get to missions on other locations. And the piloting skill will determine like the, the modifier for that speed. Awesome. And um, where are we going to be able to get these ships? Um, so the ships will be NFTs. We don't know where yet, um, but the ships themselves will be NFTs, and they're kind of um, they will also like the bounty hunters have like equipable uh, MacGuffins, like items you can attach, like the the power unit and all that stuff. Um, but we don't know where yet. Uh, hopefully, one planet. We want to stick with one planet as long as we can. All right. Awesome, man. Can't wait. Awesome. Thanks for jumping up, Sergio, making that massive leap across the moat onto the stage. <laughs> and so, yeah, Department 77, let us know uh, any final words. What's the call to action? How can we support this universe build? Obviously, it's minting now on one planet, um, but where to next? How can we play? Yeah, I mean, the, the most important thing is Mono is, is live now. It's uh, 333 in the set, uh, three uh well it's 333 of them in the set 33 of them are uh super special rare um so you have a 10 percent chance of, of getting one of those when you mint one um the rare ones are uh much better than the basic ones the basic ones are pretty, still pretty good uh mono is one of the two best droids in the game and forever will be so mono is like one of these um super badass ones um and there are some mega prices coming up for uh, after the mint ends so we have loads of like um, random draws for anyone holding a mono um so yeah it's definitely worth it um uh, and yeah and then just you know join our discord and twitter and all that stuff for the fun reveals absolutely thank you so much the game looks awesome i'm so stoked that i got one of those 33 so for all of you minting that percentage dropped by one <laughs> one person. Uh, so there's at least 32 to go. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time today. Get out there. Let's build this uh, metaverse space together. I'm also here for the long haul, so I'm sure there'll be lots of chances to chat and to collaborate and to uh, get in on the Discord. Thanks so much for your time today, and I'll see you yeah. in the Bureau.
Thanks so much for having me. Stan. Thanks for all the good questions as well. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day, and uh, we'll see you guys uh, on the next uh, alpha hour for us here with Orbital Command. And if you guys have any questions about the TerraDAP Expo, make sure that uh, you guys come in into our Discord or DM us or anything like that. But that's the, the huge event that's coming up in June in Austin, Texas. And Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was a deep dive of NFT bounty hunters from Department 77, hosted by Orbital Command. Recorded on Wednesday, April 27th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Put your hands up like you got a couple questions. Ain't no misdirection, just a bunch of flexing. All aggressive, insane from all directions. Smoke rolls in when I start a session. Plink canvas, blaze up the handlers. Rocking back and forth like I got the van stuck. Don't grind the clutch, mind your hush. Put your mask on and don't touch the antlers. Feeling untouchable when I'm on the verse. But in the universe, I'm just writing some words. Enticing these nerds while I'm laying out my memoirs. Like, remember when I had to fight the centaur? I'm a book nerd, let me take you on the journey Lost in the labyrinth, searching out the lost fern For certain, got the taxes included Acting like a writer, never felt secluded Shit and line them up Just another fixed game of try my luck Go lighten up dog. it could always be worse Unless you're in the back of a hearse Then you're dead or putting in new speakers It's a toss up driver or just tweakers Don't stress yo, I've done the research Living life like a bunch of fucking lemurs It's a remake, off the cutting floor We take a little bit of poison and put it in the cheesecake Tastes great, less filling Less stress, more killing As he blew the cornerstone out the building And the box came tumbling down all humble Feels like we're drowning in a little puddle Rebuttal, I should be taking off in the shuttle Getting high in space with the Hubble